When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I just came to a, a point of realization that this is my life in here and I need to make it as best as I can. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm okay. How no. are you? That's weird. <laughs> just... <laughs> like, no, I don't care how you are. <laughs> hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Do you want to tell any of our new listeners? What? <laughs> hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Do you want to tell our new listeners a little bit about us? I would love to. We have been best friends for 20 years. We met in high school. And we have been through our fair share of trauma, so we decided to start a podcast and talk to people with everyday stories and no topic is off limits. I love it. Me too. <laughs> and okay, so we've been, yeah, we've been asking ourselves questions, each other questions. Ooh. What did we decide? Our favorite food? Christmas food? Our favorite Christmas food and a little side from that is what's the food that you only eat for Christmas, even though you can get it year round? I like that we thought about the question, but I don't, do you have an answer? Uh, yeah. I mean, I love any Christmas candies. Like I love Lindor, Toffee Fay. I don't know if you've had the peppermint Lindors. They're so good. Oh. They're like in a green bag. So they're still like the chocolate, but then they have pep like candy cane pieces in them. But my biggest obsession for every holiday season, starting from Halloween all the way until Easter is the Reese. So it's like a Reese. Mm. But it comes yep. in the shape. So Halloween is pumpkin. Christmas is the trees. Easter is an egg. But something about the way that they're made. It's because like, they're I'm like not... fluffy on the inside. And there's no ridges. And I don't know if that's why. I think I prefer, you know, with the ridges that the outside is a little bit thicker chocolate, all the same consistency of chocolate. And then the, yeah, the middle is like creamy and they're only a dollar. So generally what I'll do is every time I go to Walmart, I'll buy like 10 and then I'll put them in the console of my car. Every time I drive, I'll eat one, which is what I have to thank for this body, this beautiful body that I'm living in now. <laughs> but they're like my number one Christmas treat. Those are good. Yeah. I really love Terry's chocolate oranges. Okay. Yeah. Like I love orange chocolate. I think you can get it all year round, but I feel like I only want to eat it at Christmas. But I think it's a British thing and a Canadian thing, the Terry's Chocolate Orange. Oh. I don't know for sure if they have it in the States. Ooh, we'll have to remember to put it in our stories. I want to know yes. if Terry's Chocolate Orange is in America. You know what I don't like? 
I don't like holiday baking. I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not big into yeah. like shortbread sugar cookies. People get so into all of this baking and I'm always like, oh, I don't like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm a pretty basic B when it comes to baking. Like I like cookies, like, but normal cookies, like my coworker made these cookies with dried fruit in them. And I was no. like, no, thank you. No, thank- but I make a chewy sugar cookie, which is, I prefer Crumbly. over the like harder mm-hmm. ones. You roll in sugar and you bake it and then it gets all crackly yep. on top. And then you dip half of it in chocolate and then sprinkle crushed up mm-hmm. candy canes on it. Yeah. That doesn't do it for me. No. What about the peanut butter cookies with no, the Hershey Kiss on top? No, I Kisses. I wow. know. I mean, those are my dad's husband's favorite cookies. <laughs> oh, fine. shoot. i had to bake cookies for a kid's skating wrap up and then i brought some to my coworkers, and i made snickerdoodles so it's like a cinnamon cookie and everybody's raving about them and i'm like i don't know like eh, that's fine but speaking of christmas are you ready for the holidays oh no thankfully i have tomorrow off so i am going to just get everything done clean the entire house wrap all the gifts make out sure everything's organized get all my coworker gifts together yeah that's the plan how about uh, you are you ready like i hate christmas and so i guess yeah. it's gonna happen whether like i yeah i feel like you're the chandler bing of hating christmas i don't know what that means Oh, Chandler Bing hated Thanksgiving and he refused to eat any Thanksgiving food or participate in any Thanksgiving activities. I mean, I went to a family Christmas party last night. I even wore a little headband with little antlers on them with bells. Okay. Oh, do you know what we need to revive again on our stories is that time that you dressed up for your Christmas Zoom. But it wasn't a Christmas (laughs) Zoom. It was just a work meeting. And when they said dress up, they meant look nice. Yeah not wear yes but you went i had an elf hat a christmas sweater i almost wrapped myself (laughs) in lights but i ran out of time but speaking also of christmas we just did our christmas patreon episode it had like a healthy dose of why the holidays are the worst but it also had a really equally healthy dose of some major nostalgia if you are between the air age of like 30 and 50 I think I would say yeah we talked about gifts that we got as kids and our favorite gifts and maybe some dangerous gifts that never should have been made (laughs) yeah so our patreon is a monthly subscription it supports the work that we do and we have three tiers to choose from you get instant access to over 70 episodes which is wild. And if you pick our third tier, which is our ultimate softy, you also get a video episode once a month called Wet Wednesday. I do want to point out though, pride and joy, Wet Wednesday. Our friend Justine (laughs) the other day was like, why didn't you call it Thirsty Thursday? And instantly I was like, that never occurred to me. Yeah. I guess when you like thought of it, for some reason, you were really adamant about a Wednesday. But well, why? I don't even remember. Could've I don't know. A... I mean, it's Wet Wednesday now. And there's no stopping <laughs> oh, it. Oh, God. Yeah. We can't change it's it not now. Great. But it, the episodes are great. If you <laughs> yes, want more are. of me and you, especially over the holidays, if you want to go back and just mm-hmm. like you need to get away from all the family activities and you need more. Yes. We've got over 70 episodes you could just listen to. My favorite trick is wear your hair down and have an earbud in under your hair. And nobody will know it's there, but you can be listening. I 
to us while you're trying to deal with you just start laughing members. at something but like it's not an appropriate time to laugh <laughs> that would be me i would just be reacting too much to what's yeah. in my ear and nobody would understand what yeah. i'm doing i want to tell you what happened to me on oh. friday grief was like kicking me in the pants and i was so sad and i uh-huh. hate the holidays anyway uh-huh. but now my dad's dead which is a real bummer i right. was like i'm just gonna take a mental health day And I had an appointment and then Lindsay had a really big event at work. So I was like, why don't I bring you some Starbucks? I'll pick one up around lunchtime. And she said, that'd be so great. So I go to Starbucks and I go through the drive-thru and I order myself a London Fog, which is like boiled milk Mm -hmm. and tea and vanilla. Yeah. So she hands me my hot drink and the barista didn't put the lid on properly. And so as I transferred it from my left hand to my right hand, the lid like popped off. And so I squeezed it, my hand (gasps) squeezed and the entire contents of a venti London fog poured all over my thigh and then filled my cup holder. The tea bag was just like bobbing in my cup holder. And I was like, I yelled out. Is this your way of telling me? (laughs) No, but. (laughs) stay tuned so I like screamed out because it hurt so bad I was just wearing like thin pants and then because it's on my it's on my leather seat it didn't get absorbed by the seat and so my leg just like it's you're like saying like boiled milk and then whatever didn't land on me like the splash from landing in the cup holder went up there was like milk product on my windshield on my dash in between both the front seats in the console oh my and so she's like she handed me three napkins and i was like i'm gonna need more than this then she like runs back and she like brings i'm gonna need an ambulance yeah she like brings some cloths and i was like do you have a bag so i'm like soaking it all up and just like putting this like steaming hot liquid into this bag and then I hand her the bag and I'm like crying at this point because it hurts so like it really hurt she was like oh my god I'm so sorry and she was like can you just pull around and park in the front so I like drive around and there's nowhere to park so I'm just like awkwardly stopped blocking people. The manager mm-hmm. comes out. I guess she had asked somebody to move their car. So then they get out, they get in their car, they move. I'm going to park. My leg is like soaking wet. I'm crying because I, and I'm also just like having a sad day. 100%. And so she yeah. cut and she was like, okay, are you okay? And she was like, I'm just waiting on the manager. And I was like, okay. And so I'm just sitting in my car and then a manager comes out. She gave me a $25 gift card. Then the owner of that store's card. And she's like, you just have to phone this 1-800 number if you're going to get your car cleaned. And I was like, yeah, like there's dairy in between my seats. Yeah. And she was like, is your leg okay? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like I'm just sitting here. And I said, but it hurts like really bad. And then they went and made our drinks again and brought them back out like in a tray she like checked the lid before handing it to me so I phoned the 1-800 number it's like 1-800-23-LATTE like I roll and I like talked to this guy I told him what happened and he's like so you're calling because your drink was made incorrectly and I was like I think the drink was probably made correctly it was more that the lid was not on correctly resulting in an injury and in my yeah. scalding. And then he's like, okay, I can offer you a $10 gift card. And I was like, that's so appreciated. Thank you so much. But like, also it, w- that will, I can't pay for my car to be cleaned my with a $10 Starbucks card, nor will it like graft. <laughs> Let's go to the detailing place. Uh, here. You know what this means. Nor will it like graft the skin back onto my thigh. 
<laughs> so then he like escalates it to like injuries and incidents. I'm like talking to this lady and she's like, I was talking to my coworker and I'm so sorry that this happened. We just need you to email photos. And I was like, photos of what? Like, I don't, I didn't leave the mess because yeah. I didn't want to drive away with boiling hot liquid in my cup holder. So I sopped it up. I was yeah. like, there's no, what am I going to send you a picture of? And I don't know that I want to send a picture of my yeah. thigh to <laughs> <laughs> to feedback at starbucks.com your hand your hand is over your badge and you're just like taking it <laughs> and she was like okay 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 you do have to email and then they'd asked for my starbucks like card number so they knew who i was and they could see what i ordered and she was like we have escalated this and somebody will call you in the meantime i have loaded your card with 50 dollars Whoa. I know. I was like, oh, now we're talking. Like, also, <laughs> that still won't pay for my car. And like, thankfully, no. it's winter and it's not like the heat of July where this dairy's going to curdle. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Anyway. That's insane. What I don't understand is I would assume that if something like that happened and most businesses, if somebody's injured, there's like an incident. Yeah. Like maybe they filled made. one out on the inside. I don't know. I never got out of my car. But you would think that they would film, like they would fill out an insert report and then forward it off to head office. And then someone from there would yeah. call you with the information from the store and from yeah. you so that you're not just calling a 1-800 number and being like, I got burned. But yeah. my word for it. I know. They right? said they were going to reach out to the store. So like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And I don't want anyone to lose their job. So I don't waiting. like, it was like, no, it just yeah, happened. It was an accident. Yeah. It's an accident. Yeah. But like. But you're also dealing with a multi-million dollar company. And if. If an accident happens, they should be prepared to yeah. fix it. That's crazy. That reminds me of the hot coffee. Yes, you yes, I know. And like the, the read, but yes. she was actually like, did you feel she like was her so, in that moment? No, because I heard she actually <laughs> had to get like a skin graft, like she in did. her business. And you know what's so crazy about that story is that people don't don't know that. Like they don't know. How yeah, they just think she was like, she really oh, thought. they thought it was just like a frivolous. Mm -hmm. But she literally like, like, had to go to the hospital. It was bad. really bad. And all she wanted was her medical bills covered. And they like were fighting her for it. My God. The lady on Starbucks yeah. did say she was like, make sure you keep any receipts from the hospital. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's an American company. <laughs> I was like, OK, fair. Yeah. But thank you. From the hospital. That's yeah. Funny. So I guess I'm just waiting Crazy. for the call. I Starbucks CEO to show up at your front door with a big check. <laughs> Yeah, really. I just want my car detailed and paid for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and Starbucks for life. And Starbucks I mean, for life. I see nothing wrong with this. Maybe a new car. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe my mortgage paid off. I'm just, you know, the emotional trauma that I sustain. I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I'm super stoked about today's episode. Me too. Marcy oh my amazing. gosh. Crazy. And so amazing. Yeah, I just love her story and all her videos. So make sure everybody goes and checks it out on Instagram and TikTok. And yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. All right. Have a great day right. and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. Hello, Marcy. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be speaking with y'all today. Oh, my we're gosh. We're so excited to talk to you. Yeah, we're so excited. I love when people say y'all or you all. 
We don't get that a lot in Canada. I just love it. They added y'all to Webster's Dictionary now. It's oh, a oh word. that's so <laughs> funny. Awesome. We're so excited to chat with you. You were so gracious to reply and say yes. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I listened to some of y'all's shows and I'm just excited to be here. Oh, yeah, thank you. That's great. Why don't we have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from, and then we'll get into your story. Sounds good. My name is Marcy Marie, and I am a Texan. <laughs> I was actually born in Colorado, but my mom moved me here when I was two, so I have Texas deep in my root for sure. <laughs> I'm 43 years old. At 30 years old, I had three middle school age children and two babies, and wow. I went to prison. So, so you had five kids. I have three adult children, two grandsons, and two middle school age girls wow. right now. If you can see. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's wild. So I guess, where does your story begin? How does somebody like yourself end up in prison? I was pretty much an average, lived an average middle class working married life. My job was doing a little, like they were doing shenanigans with their books, mm. and they had me helping with that. They weren't stealing money, but they were making their business to appear more successful than it was. And oh. I looked at that. I don't know what came over me that made me make the decision, or I looked at that and I thought, I can change that just a little bit. And could work to my advantage, which is not an advantage. It turned out to be a huge disadvantage. <laughs> uh, so I ended up stealing money. I did it, several transactions over about three and a half years, which led to my 20-year prison sentence. So that's kind of how years. things started. That was what I was sentenced to. So I actually made parole in, in 10 and a half. I came home about right under 11. So that's still so long. Wow. Yeah, it's a big small wow. town, Texas, and that had a lot to do with it, with the amount of my time. So the first wow. offer they gave me was 40 years, y'all. They huh? wanted me to stay. <laughs> my first panic attack, honest panic attack that I've ever had in my entire life was I was in the county jail and they like escort you to court. You're handcuffed and shackled and in black and in my county, it was the old school looking black and white outfit. Yes. And so I'm looking very much like a prisoner. They take you to court and take you back. They take me to court and my lawyer meets me in a room and hands me these papers and wants me to sign for this 40-year sentence. And I looked at him like he was crazy. At, at that moment, I knew I did not have a good attorney that was oh, for me. Yeah. I made it all the way back to the dorm in county jail. And I walk in and like your typical county jail dorm that you see on 60 Days In or any kind of show like that. And so there's several ladies there in the day room, and I just lost it. I thought I was dying. I thought I was having a stroke or something. Yeah. It turns out it was an anxiety. And throughout my sentence, I ended up having about five of those, and I haven't had one since I've been home. I've heard, though, that financial crimes, especially in the States, they really make that sentence long for financial crimes. They do, and it surprises me because if I had been home, if you had given me restitution and a short sentence, I would be home working to repay that money, right? So right. peculiar to me that 
they would rather pay to incarcerate me than recoup some of that anyway. But And sorry, you said you were 30? I was. So you obviously knew that what you were doing was wrong. Like you had thought, oh, if I do this and this, I think that's a really valid thing. I think more people probably do things like that than admit. But did the company get in trouble because they were doing some shady shenanigans? They actually get in trouble. It occurred to me really, and I don't know that I would have brought it up when all of that was going on, but what I was doing was different than what they were doing. What they were doing was certainly immoral. I'm not so sure about the legalities of right. it, but I never even thought of that until after I got out of prison and people always ask me, did your coworkers <laughs> get in trouble? Did your bosses get in trouble? And I'm like, no, but maybe they should have. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing this, is there a point where you're like, one day I'm going to show up to work and this is all going to come out. Everything is going to be found out. Absolutely. I was going through, I was, since it was, I was doing it over three and a half years. And so my criminal activity had survived several audits already. So I didn't have so much of a, I knew there was an end to this and it was either me stopping and somehow miraculously never getting caught or me getting caught. And so I stopped several times. In fact, the year that I, I actually got arrested in a, on, in February, that prior year, my new year's resolution was to stop. And it was probably about the sixth time that I had completely stopped. I don't know how to explain what an addiction becomes that, that money, that natural high of doing something and getting away with all of that. It's just, some minor financial need like any household, middle-class household would have. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I could just get that so quickly. And that's, and I started right back up. I maybe last three weeks at the most without making any transaction. By February, I was caught. I wanted to touch on that because Michelle, you asked, did I think I would ever go into the office? And there were moments that I had two babies in the middle of all of this. I was sitting in a recliner and my knees were bent and I had my youngest daughter there looking at me propped up on my lap. This horrible cloud came over me and I thought, I'm not going to get to raise you. I just thought this is, I'm doing this and what the heck are you doing, Marcy? Yeah, it was the most stupid thing. I don't know how to, it's something about, I don't have a good excuse for why I started, but it got to where I couldn't stop. It's interesting because I've worked in banks for years and it is the amount of money that you're surrounded by. And a lot of these companies, they don't pay great and you end up with financial troubles. I think somebody could very easily jump to that. Not that it's an excuse, but you can kind of see where that can lead you down a path where it's like, if I just take a little, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's a big company. It's going to help me and everything will be okay. And can you talk a little bit about the day you were caught? Was it, you know, I picture you're sitting at your desk and all the troops roll in. You picture this big thing, but what was it actually like? Y'all are in Canada and ice storms do not affect you the way that they affect Texas. (laughs) When there's an ice storm in Texas, everything is stopped. We don't know how to drive it. We're not equipped to handle it. We don't have equipment cleaning the roads. And so it was that situation. I didn't, I needed to, what I was doing, it required me to keep the money moving. When Mm. it was stagnant, it would throw up a red flag to me. 
anything. So I'm there just daily having to look at accounts and keep things moving. And there was this ice storm that prevented me from doing that. I couldn't get a- online from the house. Our Wi-Fi was down. I actually think it was dial-up then. <laughs> but because of the storm, I couldn't get online and I couldn't get to town because the roads were all janky. Everything was closed. Schools were closed. So that money set stagnant. I kind of knew I've had that dread that I thought this is probably the end of this. I actually went into work on Monday. That was on a Friday. I got a phone call from my boss saying, hey, we have our big bosses are coming to town next weekend. So we have a big meeting Monday morning. And I knew when he said that's that meant I knew what that meant. He wasn't saying it, but I knew what that meant. So um, because he knew and they needed to get you to the office to like. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know when I arrived to work, the detectives were probably already there, but they played it out really Nicely. I walked in and in my office, my big boss has offices out of state. He was sitting in my office alone with bank papers in front of him. And he just had me sit down. He was sitting on my side of the desk and had me sit down on the other side of the desk. Said, what's this? And honestly, what could you say? It was all right there. There was no. Additionally, it just, it felt a little like a weight. I mean, there was certainly dread and anxiety and fear and all of those things that come with getting caught, but there was also like a weight had been lifted. It was almost a good thing to be able to just say. So just a few minutes after that, the detectives walked in. So they didn't have a rest warrant for me yet. They just asked me to come talk. By the time I got finished talking, (laughs) they got an arrest warrant and was detained that day. How long have you worked for the company for? I had worked for them for about five years, I think. Was anyone else in the office? Were your coworkers there? Did they see what had what was going on? They all saw the aftermath. They saw okay. me walking out with the detectives, and I'm sure I was the talk. Yeah. It was a big manufacturing plant also, so I have to walk through the floor where all the guys are working on the lines, and oh. I'm just quite certain that it was, like, that was the least of my, like, yeah. that part was even going through my mind. Do you remember? So you're like confessing, you're getting that relief of owning up to it. Do you have any idea yet what the outcome's going to be? Like, are you thinking, I'm probably going to get a slap on the wrist. I've obviously lost my job. Maybe I'll get parole. That's, that's a good question because I honestly thought that I had a pretty good chance at getting probation, which would be me under supervision and working and probably paying money back. And that's honestly what I was thinking when they, up until that first time I went to court and they came at me with that 40 years and then trying my mind around other things. For somebody with no criminal history and the girls that I was in county jail with were mostly there for drug offenses. And those often get probation for their first offense. And so that was the buzz around county jail between all the ladies they're telling me oh you're there you're gonna get probation do you remember the moment that you had to call home I do I don't even know how you start that yeah so my husband at the time definitely did not have any clue what was going on he did not know that I was participating in that he thought that I was making a lot more money than I was actually making So one of the detectives had left the room and it was like that typical scene like you see on TVs, this little white walled room with one little table and a 
folding chairs on either side. And that's what they had me in where they were interrogating me. And one of the detectives leaves and comes back and says, okay, I talked to the DA and we have a warrant for your arrest. At that time, it was for theft over $100,000 because I, they hadn't done a complete audit yet, but they knew it was at least that. I immediately said, can I call my husband? I needed to make sure that the kids had childcare. Yeah. And he said, sure. And he let me go in his office. Which I'm sure that they assumed my husband was participating in that or at least okay. had knowledge of it. So he was probably happy to get me on a recorded line talking to him because he even left me alone in his office. And I, I remember thinking how odd it was to be in this man's office with the door closed. And I just, I called and he answered and I said, I've been arrested. And he said, what? And I said, I'm in Johnson County. I've been arrested. And he said, did you have a traffic ticket that you forgot to tell me about? <laughs> I just said, no, it's bad. He said, what are they saying? I told him it was for theft over 100000 He just was like, oh, my gosh. He and I got to talk. He bonded me out. He made my bond. And so for two weeks, I was home and I got to talk to him and my parents and explain everything because you can't do that. In county jail, you can't talk about your case on the right. phone or a visit. All of that's recorded and it right. not good for court and all of that. He was really surprised about the act, but I think that explained some of my few years for sure. You can imagine how many lies I had to tell to cover that. And those lies just are like bricks in the wall between us, right? So yeah. How did your parents react? They were devastated. They had been so proud of me because I was putting on this front that I was much more successful than I was. I had taken my mom and my grandmother and my daughter and think I don't even remember who else for this big spa trip and we got everything done. And I had, I told them that's because they're one of my, my boss's clients, oh. you know, and it's it just when I think the realization as, as hurt as they were action. I think when they're starting to realize and putting two and two together with how I've been acting and what kind of things have been happening, they realize that I was lying to their faces. And I think that hurt probably more than even just knowing that I made a really terrible decision and did something that they definitely taught me not to do. Right. Yeah. Like, why is it so powerful when you disappoint your parents? Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are or what you've done. There's just this like awful feeling yeah, knowing absolutely. you've disappointed them. Yes, it's an ugly feeling. How old were your oldest kids at this time? So they were in middle school. They were 12, 13, and 14. Oh, and what does that conversation look like? I made a huge parental failure in that area because I didn't have a full conversation. I, it was like they knew what was going on because they're hearing us talk. While I was out on bond, my second boy, he, at one point, he did say, you taught us not to steal. You taught us if we want things, we have to work for it. And they were at that age where they could earn money different ways. And so that was a dagger to the heart because it was yeah. very much true. But I just never, I wish that I had set them down and everything was just happening so fast and I was processing it. But I wish that I had set them down and said, this is what. I did not know I would be arrested again in two weeks. So I was only on at home for two weeks. And in my mind, I was going to be at home through going to right. trial right. or court dates. And then I wish that even during my experiences in county at, with visit and phone calls with them, 
I didn't really keep them up to date on what was going on with my case. They really didn't know until I was actually, okay, I am going to prison. So all the adults had this time to say, oh, they offered her 40 years. She's probably going even for just a few years. We all had time to process that. So then when it actually came to, well, your mom's going to prison, it hit them. It hit them more. It was just it was a huge failure. I wish that I could go back and change so many things. And even if I didn't, even if I had still committed my crime, I wish that I had handled so many things better with them to ease trauma just a little. So were you arrested again because they had discovered the amount of money that was taken? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That was a whole other way that they make money. (laughs) So they have you a $10,000, what was a $100,000 bond. So you pay a bailsman 10 grand to get out on theft over a hundred thousand. And then that was really the last of the money because I was spending money as I was making it. It's not like I had a bunch of money put up somewhere. So then they rearrest me after the audits finished and discovered it was theft over 200,000. And instead of just letting me be on that bond, that's not how it works. They had to set a new one and it cost another $10,000. So I stayed in county jail from that point. And did you and your husband at the time have open communication about like, okay, if this is the scenario, if this is the scenario, did he support you going through it or was that the end of your marriage? Yeah, no, he was very supportive. He's just a good person anyway. And he cares about his daughters in such a way that I still feel like if something came up random that I needed immediate help with because of the love he has for his daughters he would help me Um, so I was very fortunate with that he's human so he has his own things but he was so amazing to make sure that my daughters had a relationship with me because they were young enough that they could have never had a memory of me and I could have been a stranger coming home to them honestly but he made sure so even after our marriage like officially dissolved and just started to deteriorate from the time I started committing the crime. Yeah. So it's not like I went to prison and we had this perfect marriage. Right. It just was already because of the lies, because of my action. We couldn't survive that. But even through all of whatever, he still just made sure he brought my daughters to visit me. Often enough that there were officers that know them, asked about them when they saw me from seeing them at visit. Um, yeah. He's really good at putting the needs of his daughter daughters. He he wants to make sure he's doing right by them. How long were you in, is a county the one where you're sort of like in there until you know what the outcome is? How long were you That's in there exactly for? Right. That's exactly right. You stay in county jail until you get convicted. Right. And then once you get convicted of your sentence, then you're you move on to prison. So I was there for eight months before. I think it took about a month for me to pull chain to prison, but at seven months is when I knew it would be a 20-year prison sentence and I was going. And what is county like? County jail is, I was in, because my, even though I was going to prison probably, and even though it was a first degree felony, I was in the minimum security tank. So I was with girls sitting out traffic tickets and with girls that had grabs, snatch and grabbed from Walmart, but a lot of addicts. It was act wild in there. <laughs> you know, it was loud, massively loud, a lot of like dancing, stripper dancing. I mean, it, it was really 
I was out of my element for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was a strange thing. And it, and then it was equally strange how quickly I became acclimated to that because I was going to prison and I'm in this minimum security tank. Within two months, I'm the person that's been there the longest. Right. So right. now when people are coming in, they're asking me things and, and all of a sudden that's just how it goes. And it got to where once I knew I was going to prison, silly things like we would get a carton of milk for breakfast, but I would want several because I like to make coffee drinks with that milk throughout yeah. the day. And so someone would come in and I'd say, hey, I want you to give me your milk for breakfast. And they'd be like, well, I drink milk. And I'm like, hey, you're going home in two days. Stop at ATB. Yeah. <laughs> then I'll need your milk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it was, and it sounded just like that, as nice as yeah. that. And they'd yeah. be like, oh, yes, girl, you can have my milk. You know? <laughs> Did you become like the mother of the jail? Because you obviously had children and maybe, I don't know if you were older than a lot of them. People that were coming in. I love that you brought that up because that's something that definitely happens with incarcerated women. Definitely mothers that aren't able to mother their children are mothering in there and okay. vice versa. There's ladies go coming in, young ladies coming into the system that miss that mother figure and maybe they've never even had it their whole life and they're hungry for it. And that's one way that I was able to keep some of my sanity is by loving on those young ladies and being able to give them advice. It was heartbreaking for me, especially in county, because you were seeing them come in and having to come down off of their board uh, yeah. of choice. And it was a good opportunity for me to take some of that nurturing that I needed to give. And that was a good right. outlet. It yeah. probably also gave you a view into a life that you maybe would have never seen before. Very much so. My entire family has learned so much about the privilege that we come from yeah. by yeah. our race and just being middle class. We never, I never thought of that as privilege before, right. but it's definitely privilege and people grow up in such different circumstances that lead them to, I went to prison because I consciously made a decision that I knew was wrong. There are so many people that are in prison because they grew up in that lifestyle thinking it's right because yeah. their parents are in it, their uncles and aunts and everybody's in it, the whole neighborhood's in it. That, that's how do you lock somebody up that doesn't know exactly, not right. black and white there. It's probably interesting to see those people who are in there and you just think, man, I wish that your life was different and that things were easier for you so that you didn't very, have to Very, very much so. It's just to masking your trauma through substances and then that leads to incarceration. And then there's no, they're not getting any treatment for the trauma and they're yeah. not getting any treatment for the addiction and they're being let back out. It's just a round and round. So yeah. I was in the chapel in prison, in the prison. It's 1,300 women. It was when you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. 
Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's at the main prison that I stayed at. The chapel was full, and I think it holds like 600, so I'm thinking oh, wow. that's about how many were there, and it was a group. And of course, I'm in Texas. I'm in the Bible Belt. And it's a lot of indoctrination in the prison system. So it was some kind of religious function. But you go because it's somebody that's talking positive to you. Whether you agree with what they're talking about or not, if they're talking to you positively, you need, you're yeah. hungry. And so we're there and the lady comes on the stage and she just says, before we start, if you have ever been sexually abused, I want you to raise your hand. I was shocked to see not two-thirds, not 80%, at least 90% of those hands went in the air. Wow. That says something. I mean, the number is staggering in population yeah. out here. Yeah. But to see that in there, I was like, we're broken. Yeah. The prisons are full of broken people. So we've got to fix yeah. them so that they can be, get out here and do what we need to do to absolutely. help each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm interested, like, how did you go from, so you're in county, you're waiting, you think you're probably going to get parole, your lawyer slides you a letter and says, sign this, and it says 40 years. What's the process of that to getting, ending up with 20? And what is, I don't know, like, how do you handle that? The process is you say no. And so your attorney goes and tells the DA she's not taking this deal. They reset the court date. It might be in two weeks and it might be in four weeks. You go again and the DA has a different offer. And then you can tell your attorney, like I, I at one point I was telling my attorney, tell him if he says 10, I'll sign today. Yeah. You know? And he would go to the DA. So it's just them negotiating. But honestly, especially in small towns and in my case, for sure, charges are like playing cards for them. They're all friends and they need to have a certain amount of wins on both sides and it just turned out that one of my boss's sons was somehow associated with the DA in that town. Oh. So I'm sure that played into it. But it's just like, hey, I need a big win on this one. This money crime, that's a good one. So I want her. And I'm sure he, my lawyer was probably like, I've got these guys. I want this one has probation then behind the scenes. So you go back and forth and back and forth to court and back and forth to court. And then finally, my 18th time, I can't even tell you how many times I don't remember but I go in and the offer's 20 years and I tell my attorney no 15 go tell him 15 and he goes and talks to the DA and then comes back in the room where I've been left and he says they want to charge your husband so here's the deal I had passed a lie detector test they knew that he didn't have anything to do with it I knew logically that case wouldn't stick Right. But I just thought, I can't have them arrest him. I can't have that. And I just said, let me just sign. My parents were really upset. They were upset I signed for that time. They wanted it to be less, and we all hoped that it would be less. Did you have the option of going in front of a jury? You do always have the option of right. going in front of a jury. My crime is not going to invoke a lot of empathy in a jury. Mm -hmm. I'm a, an intelligent person that made a an direct decision to break the law. It wasn't right. any kind of circumstances. So I had that in my mind. And then also it was a first degree felony. So it's punishable between 10 and 99 years. Oh my God. So I, I had that fear of yeah. going 
in front of the jury, but they decide. So I just thought, man, if something happened and that scared me. So you're taking a plea to avoid a jury trial and potentially more time. Yes. How long does that process go on for as long as until somebody signs? Could that go on for? Absolutely. There are people that sit in county jail for two years going back and forth negotiating. And at any point, can they force you into a trial? At any point, yeah. The DA yeah. can say, we're not making any offers, but it's they like to sign for that. It costs less money. Yeah. They like to, they would much rather say, we've reached this plea and go in front of the judge. And even with the plea, when you go in front of the judge has the option to say, eh, no, right, but right. they really do. They all kind of work together. And that also it takes the option of appealing off the table, correct? Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. I was able to apply for a time cut, which I didn't get approved for, but okay. that you can't appeal. So what was it like then transitioning from the county? Did you know where you were going right away? My only reference to this is like Josh Duggar and the Duggar case in the States and the big talk about he's either going to go to this one or this one, but they don't know. I just assumed it was like, oh, you just go to this one because it's near where you live. How do they decide and where did you go? So if my crime had been picked up by the feds, that is a risk because oh, wow. federal prisons in the States, they ha- they're everywhere. And someone from Texas could easily go to Oregon or, oh, wow. and, or New York and that's or vice versa. We have a federal prison 30 minutes from me, but I probably wouldn't have been sent there. My mine, I was actually charged by the state. So I knew I wasn't going to leave Texas. Some states only have one women's prison. I'm in Texas. There's at least 10. Wow. <laughs> so I really didn't have a clue where, and they don't tell you because that's a big security issue. They don't want anybody attempting to Planning escape or anything <laughs> like that. So I didn't know until they tell you like at 10 o'clock, hey, you're leaving tomorrow. Wow. And that's how you know. And so you leave early that morning and they tell you after the phones are shut out, shut off. They don't want you calling and all that's for security, right? So then the next morning you get in and once you're in the van, you can so where am I going? And they sent me to about four and a half hours south to Dayton, Texas by Houston was where I went first. I spent, that was like an intake unit. And I spent seven or eight months there before I hit my regular unit. And was your family able to visit you much? It was quite a drive for them, but I still had a visit. I have a pretty big family. So I have a grandmother that visits and then my parents that visit and then my little girl's dad. Even then, I was getting visits about once a month there. Once a month, though. And how often can you communicate with them otherwise? Can you call them every day or? Right. They actually had, Texas had just put phones in the year before I got locked up. It was still pretty new. So that was very fortunate that I had phone access. So I was able to call home and, of course, write letters. You can write letters all the time. And some some of the TikToks I really liked watching were about like your prison hacks. And yes. so are a lot of those ones you developed yourself? Is there like a oh, inf- <laughs> informal orientation by other inmates that say, okay, girl, this is what you're going to want to do? It's really similar to out here when something comes up and you have a problem and you're like, mom or grandmother or auntie, this is going on. And they're like, oh, girl, add a pinch of tartar sauce to that. (laughs) So that's really what it is. Something will come up and one of the other ladies will be like, no, this is how you, this is how we do it. This is it. And so you learn as you go. So most of those hacks, I don't know that I came up with any of them. 
I could probably very easily say, no, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing. Also, those recipes get passed down and then maybe you have your great grandma's recipe for dressing, but you throw in this. So then you make it your own and that's how that goes. Yeah. I watched a video of you making prison pizza. I've heard of prison pizza before and I know I've seen the different variations of it, but it's a lot. And do you have to go to the commissary and buy all of those things or do they provide you with any of it besides like the meals that you get like in in the mess they call it a mess right. i don't know chow hall yeah chow hall um, no they don't provide you with anything extra no. for sure it, all of that's purchased on commissary any additional food item and most hygiene items they don't provide either you have to have money to purchase them from commissary so like that that to me is wild that you're not it should just be a standard that you get like the, the basics. basics. Yeah. Sure. You don't shampoo. When you arrive to prison, they give you one roll on deodorant. You don't get deodorant again. Toothpaste. It was policy says that they give inmates a tube of toothpaste every three months. I got toothpaste when I arrived and for sure less than five times my entire decade incarceration. Wow. And can we just talk about the money that's pumped into these prisons? Like, where is that money going that they're not providing the prisoners with deodorant, toothpaste, and shampoo? Yeah, wow. that's that's very much an yeah. issue for sure. Yeah. What, what do you wow. think was the hardest thing to adapt to or maybe the most surprising thing? I hear the food is atrocious because they it's money. They try and do it as cheaply as possible. Or was it the lack of privacy, having to go to the bathroom in front of people or... I don't know, like with thinking back, what was maybe some of the hardest things that you had to learn? All of that. Additionally, for me, it was I was it, it was a culture shock for yeah. me. people that had grown up very differently than me. So the language, mm-hmm. I didn't understand a lot of it. One thing that hit me really hard about being an inmate is. Out here, when you say something, Michelle, I can tell you, hey, I'm a Capricorn, and your instinct is to believe me, and I'm believe. And in prison, as an inmate, you can say someone's choking over there, and it's questioned. The guard is always thinking, what is the ulterior motive? You are assumed to be lying. And so I I remember that hit me hard, that I had put myself in a situation where people didn't even believe the most minute things that came out of my mouth. And did you have your own room? The unit that I was on had a couple of different housing ways and dorms. So one of the dorms is two-man cells, and I would have a roommate, and it would be a closed locked door. And then the other dorms would be an open dorm with one held 102 women and one held 125 women. And those would be like similar to an office cubicle and it would be, but the walls would be lower and we would be in cubicles. You would have your own cubicle. Wow. When it came to like violence or people stealing things from you, was there a lot of that going on? Mostly it's everybody just trying to survive. Generally speaking, everybody's just helping each other. There definitely was violence. You have to keep in mind, not like on a men's unit. But we're at the lowest and we're dealing with 
women that are losing their kids because of their incarceration. We're dealing with women who have deaths in their family and they can't be there and women who are getting divorced and it's, you're going through all of this stuff. So absolutely that plays into the violence. You can see how an argument could escalate much quicker than it would Mm -hmm, out here because we're, we don't have a way to cope with those things. I can't go hug my mom or pick up the phone easily and talk to her to work things out. You're, so there's that. But most of the violence in women's prisons is behind relationships. It's mostly yeah. domestic violence. It's mostly very personal, whether it's a best friend or a girlfriend. It's someone that feels that they're, they've been hurt emotionally. Yeah. Did you have a lot of access to the outside world? I get, What was happening in the world? You know, I'm thinking of people in, that are in prison and then something major newsworthy happens. Do you hear about it right away? Like COVID. <laughs> like COVID, right. like 9-11, yeah. these big life-changing things. So, so strange, the vibe in there, because something will happen that's pretty mass shooting 10 years ago when they weren't quite every day in the United yeah. States. When you're in the free world and you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh, and you pick up the phone and call grandma, Did you, what's going on and, and that. But in there, such a world of its own. So we hear those things, but it's like perhaps being in Canada and hearing something happen in Texas. That's the kind of effect. It doesn't affect you or your community in there. And even though it does affect people on the outside, I don't know how to explain. It's just a disassociation. We did have access to that information. And when COVID hit, we were seeing the news before it was like really even prominent here. We were seeing some of the news and then we were getting mail in from our family. One girl in particular, her boyfriend was sending her JPEGs and he was pretty scared about what was happening. So her JPEGs, we would pass them around and we were like, this is so crazy. This is so weird. And I just randomly talked to my mom and she's like, yeah, people are wearing masks, but I'm not, not registering. And then one day the officers walk in, shift changes at 6 a.m. So they walk in to do that initial walkthrough and there's two officers and they're in full PE equipment. They have masks, those shields, oh, and they have scrubs on, like paper scrubs over their uniform, gloves. And I thought we were going to die. Like oh, that yeah. felt like the end of the world. Yeah. But we had known what was coming, but it didn't, it doesn't register because you're course, not. Right. And then all of a sudden people are getting sick on my unit. And then it was very real, right? Yeah, then did we're you have an, an outbreak in the prison? Yes, a huge outbreak. And the unit that I was on, we lost more inmates than any other unit in Texas. COVID was horrible. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't, they didn't lock us down quick enough. And then they locked us down, but then they let us continue to work with other dorms. The first couple of people that got, they put them in for a few days and I feel like they brought them back too soon. They just didn't know. And then If you can imagine 125 people living in a warehouse and we're sharing sinks, bathrooms, showers, phones. So it was scary. They shut the phones down, locked us down, but you're still sharing sinks, showers. It was scary. They didn't have any kind of emergency plan of action. They didn't know what they were doing. So they just responded late to it. Our kitchen was shut down and another unit was making Johnny's, which Johnny is a sack meal, was making sack meals. And one of the officers told us that other unit, the officers would pull up and they would throw them the meals over 
they weren't even coming in. It was, everybody was scared. Everybody was scared that it was so bad on my unit that we lost officers. A lot of officers quit and would not come to work during that time. How did you spend your days? Did you have to go to work? Was there, was it really regimented or were you just occupying time. So that's the big difference between county jail and prison. County, just trying to get through your day. You're bored. Prison, there's things that are required to do. It's the same time chow. You go to chow. All of that, it's very regimented. And yes, you do have to work. When you get there, they assign you a job. And there is a little bit of moving around jobs. If I got assigned in the kitchen that I wanted to work here, I would try to talk to that boss when I saw them and they would have to pull you kind of thing. I would write and write I-60, which is like a form that you submit around the unit. (laughs) So it's, you're not applying for a job, but you are saying, I do want to work outside and this is why I'd be good at this job. And it is like a job application. You do have to have a job. You don't get paid, but you are required to work. Yeah, it's very scheduled. Everything is very scheduled. Your days are very uniform. Every day feels like the day before and the day after. And that's one thing that a lot of people that have been incarcerated for a significant amount of time, they come home and that's one thing. Even just not having anything to do can give someone anxiety. Right. Yeah. Because we're used to being told, hey, we're doing get up, lights are on. Yeah, you've been conditioned to live like that. Yeah. Sure. What time did you have to get up in the morning? Breakfast started at 4 a.m. Oh, my yes. God. Wow. Uh, breakfast started at 4 a.m. So there's a 3.30 count. And I used to wake up at, right after that 3.30 a.m. count. The lights would come on and your body just gets used to knowing And I, wow. when the lights would come on for that. What ended up happening at the 10 and a half year mark for you to get out? So in Texas, the way the parole laws are is there's like a chart. And if you get sentenced to two years, you're eligible for parole in three months, five years, eight months, 20 years, 28 months. So you're eligible for parole. So in my mind, when I signed for that 20, my lawyer actually holds the paper out and he's like, here's the chart. You know, look, you're only going to do 28 months. It's yes, it's a 20 year sentence. But if you go in there and do everything you're supposed to and not get in trouble, you get out. Right. That's not the way it works. (laughs) He's never been to prison. He doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely not the way it works. So what happens is that 20 months or 28 months, I got reviewed. The parole board comes back and says, yes, I see you're taking college classes. Yes, I see you don't have any disciplinary. Great job in there. But your parole's denied because repetitive criminal activity. And it's because I had made so many transactions. It was like a wasn't one thing. And then significant monetary loss. So that's why they denied me. And that's why they denied me again the next year and the year after and the year after. Oh, God. In the middle somewhere, they started to me because I was acting like a crazy person in prison. I'd lost it in there. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Is there any sort of therapy, group therapy, mental health help. So they do have a mental health department on the unit where I was at and every unit, I'm fairly sure. But there's 1,300 broken women that all, even someone that had never had any mental health issues or trauma in their life, prison is trauma enough to need it. And so it's definitely not available like that. I took an anger management class 
I got to be an angry, bitter person. It was inward. And I was able to get an anger management class. And it was like a group therapy class. I think it was once a week for five weeks or maybe six weeks, but there's not enough time or enough. That gave me some tools. But But at the end of that six weeks, you're still in prison. Absolutely. And still angry. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. So they deny it because you're like acting like a crazy person in prison. But the solution to that would be to get you out of prison. That feels like a double-edged sword. What were you doing that showed them that it was worth denying? It was for disciplinary cases. So I just lost it. I, in my mind, thought, I'm doing this 20 years. They're not letting right. me home. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. The guilt, I thought I was going to be home before my girls went to kindergarten and before my oldest son graduated high school. Uh-huh. And then my oldest son graduates college. So with that, I was doing it everything wrong. I was fighting. I was going out of place. I was talking back to the guards. I was freaking out. I had suicide attempts. I went to the psych hospital, which is like a hundred times worse than prison. I was there for several months. I just, honestly, I didn't want to live. I couldn't live with myself any longer. I had wrapped around the consequences of my actions being a certain number. And when I was beginning to see how much more that was going to affect my family. I just, yeah, it was rough. Were your family and friends like, Marcy, this is not you? Like, to hear that you're doing these behaviors wouldn't make any sense to them. Very much so. So when visitation in prison in Texas is contact, if you start to get in trouble, that's a privilege. So you start to get in trouble. At one point, I lost visits for four months because of my actions. I was having to visit behind glass. I had acted out in such a way that they put me in SEG or the hole or the shoe. And when you're in there, you're escorted with handcuffs. You can still get visits, but you go in to sit in this little room and they lock you in and uncuff you and your family's on the other side of the glass. And I had a visit one time from SEG and it was my grandmother. I just was looking in her eyes as I, it's like, you have to have your hands cuffed behind your back so they put you in the room close the door and open this little slot and put your hands through for them you have to bend down on your knees and put your hands through for them oh god i'm just looking at my grandmother's eyes and i thought how did i do something in prison to make it even worse like she's already having to deal with coming to the prison dealing with being searched and all of that pat searched by guards and all of that and now she's seeing me her granddaughter in handcuffs. What in the world am I, you know? It went from me keeping my mouth shut about small injustices because there's so many, but you just go with the flow and keep your mouth shut and your head down and stay out of the limelight. And then it went from me being the person when I saw an officer do something that I'm screaming it at the top of my lungs and everybody. And then now I'm a target. So even if I... Even if I do something that everybody does, some small infraction that's usually overlooked now because I've acted like a complete idiot and crazy person and been disrespectful. Now they're going to get me for all those little things too. It's very hard to come out of that. Once you get to that point, something happened within me that was just like enough is enough. So if I'm going to be here, at least I have to make it as good as I can for myself and for my family. And so whatever happened, I don't know that it was people always that want to ask, did somebody talk to you? And it wasn't any one thing. 
I just came to a, a point of realization that this is my life in here and I need to make it as best as I can. And I just calmed down. And all of a sudden, when I'm calmed down, I'm not getting in trouble anymore. That's how that happened. And so what happened then, going back to that 10 and a half year mark, what changed or and what was that like, getting that news that you're going to be able to leave? I felt like it was coming. I don't know why I was under parole review again. I hadn't been in trouble in a while, like a year and a half or two years, but I felt like it was coming. And it was actually, the way that works is it your answers put on the computer. You don't have access to a computer. <laughs> so people out there have access. I am having my mom and my little girl's dad, my ex-husband check, like just check my parole. And they're checking all the time. I called one dad, called my mom and she said, I checked yesterday. I haven't checked yet today. And I hung up with her and called my ex-husband. He was in the truck with the girls and he said, I need to pull over and get out of the truck and talk to you about it. Ooh. And I thought, oh, I just, denied me again. Yeah. I just thought, what in the hell do these people want? And he pulled over and he said, are you okay right now? And I said, just tell me, what is it? And he said, they gave you parole. <laughs> I was like, he played with me. He yeah, did that well. My parole actually required a six-month in-prison program at another unit. So I had to wait a couple months to pull chain to that program, do the six-month program, and then it also required a halfway house. So I didn't oh, actually wow. come home to almost a year later. But right. Oh, my gosh. What is it like moving prisons after developing relationships and meeting people and then going to new places and being new again? Devastating. Yeah. It's devastating. You definitely have your prison family. You have your community. That's what that's your safe place. That's your comfort zone. And it's scary. And it, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. I was so scared to go. I was really nervous to go. Yeah. And wow. what was the halfway house like? Was it similar to prison or did you get, were you closer to your family and starting to integrate back into the world? So it was not close to my family and I couldn't have visits because of COVID, but uh, you could go get a job. It was right. so weird. We're going to yeah. let y'all go work at Sonic with a bunch of coworkers, but your parents can't come say hi to you. It's so yeah. strange. Did they meet you um, at Sonic? And people definitely did that. Yeah. yeah. People definitely did that. The rules are pretty strict there. I was really shocked at the rules. Like, no, we couldn't even have instant coffee there. And it was just really... It was very strict, so I would call it halfway prison yeah. <laughs> instead of the halfway house. But you did get to, you did get to experience a little bit of the free world and free world clothes and free world makeup. I was a car hop at Sonic, so I would have to go out and catch the bus and go to work. And so I was like sitting with people and I was equal to them and it felt like there was just so many things, so many yeah. of those moments that I had in the halfway house where I was just like, whoa, I'm not in prison wow, and yeah. I'm almost there. Wow. Right. Yeah. There. What did it feel like integrating back into your family? And was there judgment from past friends or family members? So I have a really large family and my core family, for sure, I know there was no, that was easy. That just felt like I was home again. I never felt an awkward moment with my brother or with my parents. Uh, even like kids, it just all felt right. Now, if some of my third cousins or if 
I'm sure there was like massive talk because that's right. just what people do. And if it's any negative energy, I never felt any of it. And I still don't. We just had everybody over for Thanksgiving and tons and tons of people, but I still didn't ever feel even a little bit. Wow, that's so, so good. Do you keep in contact with people at the prison that you were in there with? I do. I have two people that I can easily say are two of my best friends. I keep in contact with several that I love and care about, but I have two in particular that still have quite a bit left on their sentences. And we write and talk on the phone. I can't visit them. You have to be home for two years before you go back to visit. Well, okay. In January will be my wow. time for that. So. Wow. And what a, I noticed your shirt. It says Lioness Justin Impacted Women's Alliance. Yes, this is an advocacy organization that I'm involved with, and it's in, it's a Texas-based organization, and it justice impacted women, and it's basically women that have been incarcerated are now helping incarcerated women. Oh, so wow. we are testifying at legislation to get bills passed to improve living conditions in the prisons. We are doing minor things like when there's a unit that starts writing a bunch of disciplinary cases that don't make sense, and we hear from several of those women, we make a few phone calls and get things turned around and help in that way. Just supporting. We give them newsletters, keeping them up to date about what's going on with legislation. That's we kind of have a, It's nice. It's really great to be around. It's great to be around y'all, <laughs> but it's really great to be around women that know exactly where you came from. We all were in those trenches. We were all in those trenches together. Yeah, we could talk to you for a hundred hours and we would never have that same we would perspective. Never feel it. Yeah. And so what, maybe it's too big of a question, but what is the biggest perspective shift or lesson maybe that you didn't have before you went and that you've come out with? The first thing that comes to mind when you say that is that prisons aren't just full of bad people. They're full of people that made some bad choices, and there's definitely good behind those. Th those, I say ladies, but I mean everybody. My yeah. heart's just the women. Those ladies have hope. They have dreams. They have love. They care about things. They care about their friends. They just made some bad choices, and so much needs to change around how we handle I, yeah. I didn't see anybody that was inherently evil. When they talk about prison reform, what does that look like to you? I want to say air conditioning. <laughs> That's where my mind goes right away. Texas prisons are air conditioned and the temperatures, Texas A&M did a study, the University of Texas A&M did a study and they showed temperatures in Texas prisons from 110 degrees to 149 degrees in the oh. summer. It's miserable. It's and they only give you one deodorant? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. It's funny. Like, that's the first thing. But actually, there's just so much. Because yeah. definitely addiction needs to be addressed. Uh, mental health. We need a much stronger mental health team to help these ladies or yeah. people. These yes. The men, too. <laughs> I care yes. about them, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely those two main things. Addiction help. We had a close, someone that was very close to us. He went into prison, an addict, got a two-year sentence and came home. And while he was there, he was just making all these plans. And we're talking about all this that he wants to do. And he comes home. Our family has a vehicle for him. But as it got close to the end of his sentence, he has all these plans and he's talking so positively. But 
while he was in prison, his addiction never got addressed. He never learned any new tools to handle that. And he came home to everything. Everything was, here's your life. You can get started. You have a job, a vehicle. And within a week, he was in trouble again. He's already back in prison. Within a year, he was back in prison. And I think that that, he didn't want that. That's not something he wanted. And so I just think something needs to be done to help that situation. How do we get this money that's being funneled into these prisons put into addiction and mental health? And haven't they seen now enough of the people who are reoffending because these things have not been addressed. So when you talk to a legislator about that and mm-hmm. say exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. they're going to say, nobody's telling me about it. So it's mm-hmm. not important. The people mm-hmm. that are voting for me aren't right. bringing it up. Right. So that's why there's all of a sudden you're seeing this big prison TikTok community and you're starting to see on social media things come up. It's because we need for people to tell their lawmakers. Mm -hmm. In the United States, y'all, we are number one in recidivism and out of any democratic country. It's embarrassing. We have the most incarcerated population out of any other country. Yeah. And we're not the largest, but we have the largest incarcerated population. Our prison system is failing. And in order for lawmakers to care about it, the people that vote have to speak up and Mm -hmm. say that they care about it Mm because they only care about what the people that are voting for them care about. So, And I wonder how much of it is that it's a for-profit industry. So the people who are getting the money and benefiting financially, if people stop going back to prison they're going to stop losing money. I've heard some podcasts talk about decriminalizing marijuana. They said the impact it would have and the amount of people that would no longer be incarcerated just for that would break the system financially. They're making too much money off of these really minuscule Mm -hmm. charge, non-violent Mm -hmm. charges. Well, I think just like we talked about with my charge, how it probably would have made more sense for me to maybe be on house arrest and paying the money back, but then I wouldn't be a bed full. That that is one less bed full. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely for-profit prisons play into that. So what does life look like now? You're Mm -hmm. out, you are still on probation. Are you paying restitution? Technically, I'm on parole. Parole, (laughs) Um, sorry. And so probation's a little different. That's a minor detail, but I am on parole till 2030. I don't have restitution. Restitution was not part of my, um, I don't have that. So I'm just working. I came home and started working for Amazon in the distribution center. And I loved that, but I was able to quit that job about three months ago. I'm working on a television show with Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, yeah. Tell her about us. When this broadcasts, I'll send her a link, I promise. But Oh my um, God, oh my Rosie, God. if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so she's awesome. She found me on TikTok and that's how, the, how that's how it started. She found me the same way you guys found wow. me. All my TikTok. She's going to act in it, I think. And they're still writing it. And so we're working on that. But it's about my life. It's about getting out of prison, re-entry, healing with my family. We're all just still healing from the trauma. And it's going to be lighthearted and a little bit funny, like Mm -hmm. you would expect maybe from Mm -hmm. Rosie O'Donnell. 
but it's also going to, I think, be inspiring. And it's going to have flashbacks of prison, of me in prison. I'm not going to act in it, but my character <laughs> in prison. It's going to show a very real portrayal of a Texas prison. Wow. And that's what I'm really excited about it. It's going to show how the women come together as a community and it's going to show them as real people. And it's also going to show when it's 130 degrees in the summer, how we lay on the concrete floor in a pile of water trying to stay cool. Imagine. It's going to show everything. And I'm excited yeah. about it. I hope it's going to open a lot more eyes so that people are telling their legislators, yeah. their lawmakers, hey, this isn't cool. This yeah. isn't right. We yeah. don't like this. So. Yeah. I think that's so incredible. I love when people tell me, you don't look like you've been to prison. We're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> 8% yes. of the population in the United States has a felony conviction. Wow. We're everywhere. Wow. Oh, Marcy, that's so great. Thank you so much for being so candid and yes. honest. And I don't know, that's like, a, it's a hard topic to talk about, because mm -hmm. you had to admit something about yourself that you did. But I think sharing your experience is really impactful. Well, thank you, Carling and Michelle. It's been such a pleasure visiting with y'all for sure. I appreciate y'all contacting me for sure. We will have to keep in touch and let us know like how we can share more and support more and just really advocate for the work that you do. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Awesome. We'll let you get on with your day. Enjoy your Sunday. Enjoy the rest yeah. of your week and we will talk really soon. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Okay. Bye. bye. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carling. Thank you so much to today's guest and to everyone for listening. If you're enjoying the show, there are many ways that you can help our podcast grow. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Join us on our Patreon. Follow us on social media. Check out our merch store. Share our show with your friends. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please message us on IG or Facebook. Have a great week and thank you so much for your support. Bye. Bye. Why are they still here? I don't know. What should we do? Mm -hmm. I guess I'll just turn up that outro music. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.